Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel and chapter number 11 as we stand in honor of God's Word. Again, it is good to have some guests here with us. Pray that uh, the preaching of God's Word will be a help to you as it will uh, to everyone here. And uh, pray to be a, a big help to each and every one of us, of course. Always is when we uh, take it and apply it and take good heed to it. So 1 Samuel we're actually going to begin in verse um, 27 of chapter 10. So just that last verse really in many ways kind of sets the stage or it does not kind of do that. It sets the stage for what we read in chapter 11 and will be a help here, here to us tonight. Okay, so in, in chapter 10 and verse number 27, it says, But the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? It's talking about Saul. How shall this man save us? He'd just been anointed the first king of Israel. And these men, Belial means they're godless men, not God-fearing men. And, and they're rather cynical. And they say, actually, it's a good question. How shall this man save us? Well, a man can't. Okay, but that's their question. How shall this man save us? And they despised him. They looked down on him. And brought him no presents, but he held his peace. All right, chapter 11. Then Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a league with us, and we will serve thee. Obviously, because he besieged them, and as a superior fighting force, the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead knew they needed to, they needed to do something. They better do it quick. So they said, hey, listen, if you wipe us out, you take our goods. That's, that's all you're going to have. That's it. But if you'll let us be your servants, then it'll just keep on giving. They were afraid. That's all they knew to do. They said, make a covenant with us. Everybody following along so far? I want you to be able to understand the reading even as we move along. All right, we're at verse 2. And Nahash, the Ammonite, answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes. I mean, really a reasonable man. <laughs> Let me just cut out your right eye and we're good. And lay it for reproach upon all Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, uh, what could we get for a left eye? No, I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not what he said. Here's what they said. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll tune in now. <laughs> Give us seven days respite that we may send messengers unto all the coast of Israel. And then if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. They were going to agree to it. Then came the messengers to Gibeah of Saul and told the tidings in the ears of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And behold, Saul came after the herd out of the field. Now he's the king, but he's still farming. And Saul said, what aileth the people that they weep? And they told him the tidings of the men of Jabesh. Now, please notice verse six. And the spirit of God came upon Saul. 
some of you are skeptical and saying, is that for real? You just read it and it means exactly what it says. The Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings and his anger was kindled greatly and he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces and sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of messengers saying, whosoever cometh not forth after Saul, notice this now, we got to enjoy this while we can about Saul. We got to enjoy this while we can. Um, Whosoever goeth not, cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. Notice this. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people. And they came out, notice this, with one consent. This is wonderful. This is rare. And when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah, 30,000. So 330,000 330, strong. And they said unto the messengers that came, thus shall you say unto the men, men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun be hot, ye shall have help. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh and they were glad. <laughs> Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, and they're speaking to Nahash, the Ammonite, tomorrow we will come out unto you and you shall do with us all that seemeth good unto you. And it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the hosts in the morning watch and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. It's quite a victory. And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death this day. For today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Hey, Hey, that's Saul. This is one shining moment. Come on, we got to enjoy it all together right here. Today the Lord hath wrought, hath wrought salvation in Israel. Then Samuel, then said Samuel to the people, come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Now, this is, some of you are cynical about this and thinking, this is Saul, this can't be good. And this is a setup. Preacher is setting us up. He's like making it like things are good. And it's Saul, it can't be good. It's good. Uh, I'm calling the message tonight this, the spiritual basis of a strong start. The spiritual basis of a strong start. Now, I'm mindful of it probably like you already are. If you're a Bible reader, you're already mindful of this. Chapter 13 is coming. Chapter 15 is coming. What are you talking about? 13 and 15. Saul's going to blow it. But until then... 
When a nation needs revival, the spiritual basis of a strong start. May God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, let's consider this together. This commentary on 1 Samuel, a man named Dale Davis, refers to this particular chapter as a hopeful beginning. A hopeful beginning. Uh, he proceeds to describe the day, first days of school, elementary school in particular, the opportunity for a fresh start, new shoes, new clothes, new supplies, new pencils with fresh erasers, pencils with the metal bands not yet chewed up. There's just something about a brand new start, something that's refreshing about a brand new start. Another individual referred to this chapter as Saul's finest hour. So I, I must confess, and maybe, maybe you wouldn't have to confess this, but, but, um, but I, I, I came into this chapter having you know, read it before, but not really studied it at great length or anything like that. And and just really with some preconceived ideas about Saul and, and, and about his past and even about his future. And, and if, if you're not careful, you can allow your preconceived ideas kind of read into this and, and prove to be already shaking your head and saying, mm, this is not legitimate. I mean, it, this is not really a fresh start. I know what Israel was doing here. And, and, and yet I'm, I'm here to tell you, the question that the men, the men of Belial asked, how shall this man save us, is really answered in chapter 11. And if we'll take heed to it, and if Israel had taken heed to it, and if Saul had taken heed to it, it actually would have helped him to keep on the right path. Because it actually is a strong start. Okay, it's a strong start. Now, here's why we're dealing with it. Well, other than the fact that this just is where we are in our, in our series, um, no doubt everyone here along the way, even in the Christian life, you've needed a new start. And, and oftentimes we come to a place where I, I just need a fresh start. You, you got a past. You made some bonehead decisions in the past. Right. We all have. We've made some wrong decisions in the past. Some bad things have happened in the past. Uh, maybe there's some concern about the future, but, but really you can't control the past. You, you don't know what's going to happen in the future, so you're not really in control of the future either. Here's what you have opportunity by God to have a measure of control in and realizing ultimately God's in control of this whole thing. But he's also given you free will, free choice, and so you have a choice in the matter today. Today. All right? So what I'd like to do is, is review a little bit because it, it does leave you wondering, okay, how's, how is Israel going to make it? Um, how are they going to move forward? What, how shall this man save us? Okay, now, uh, I trust that you'll follow along here because what they really wanted was a military leader. That's what they wanted. They, they wanted Saul. They wanted a military leader. They wanted a king to be like all the other nations. So I realize, I get it, I understand, and I know that you do as well, that, that God was their ruler and he was a perfect ruler. But God was not against a theocracy, meaning God wasn't against him having a king. In fact, in fact uh, as we're kind of getting back into the series, maybe it'd help us all to be reminded of that, that God made provision for them to have a king. God said, you're going to have a king. God said that of Abraham's seed, that there would be kings. 
there would be kings and, and that it even would come through the tribe of Judah that there would be kings. Deuteronomy 17, he made provisions of what a king should look like in Israel and how that he's not to amass wealth unto himself and not to have a bunch of wives. And boy, a lot more kings of Israel and Judah needed to read that, didn't they? But, but uh, they, you're, they're, not to, uh, they're not to trust their military might. They're supposed to trust God. In other words, here's what God was teaching them. Even when you come to the time in your nation's history, when you function under a king, you're not supposed to trust the king. You're still supposed to trust God. Because the only way a, a monarchy would work is if it functions still as a theocracy. I'm not trying to throw terms around. I'm just trying to say the only way that having a king would work is if God was still your king. But they thought, they thought that having a king like all the other nations would solve all their problems because we'd have somebody that would lead us into battle and be strong and have great wealth and have great power. And, and so um, they didn't want Samuel because largely Samuel was way too much like God. They were really tired of being ruled by God. That was really their problem. And they thought that a man could give them what they really needed. We kind of get our hopes in others, don't we? when ultimately God is our hope. And so they, uh, they wanted a king to be like all the other nations. Now listen, that's a problem because they wanted to fit in with all the other nations. They wanted a king just like they had. And, and so um, they actually, God, God gave them what they wanted. I don't have time to go into re-preaching all of that, um, but God gave them what they wanted. They wanted a, a king that was uh, impressive and that had wealth. And so then we're introduced to the likes of Saul, whose family had wealth. They had donkeys, like the luxury ride of the day, right? They had donkeys, they had oxen, they had servants. Uh, they had lost their donkeys. Saul was on a big search for their donkeys. And really they should have put it on pause right there to say, you know, he's not even a successful donkey hunter. <laughs> what makes us think he's gonna be a successful king? And really, if you're really thinking spiritually about this, if he can't find some straying donkeys what makes, and bring them back home, what makes us think he's going to be able to help a straying nation come back to God? All right. So there, there are some major red flags that I am not overlooking here in coming into chapter number 11, but, but I'm, neither am I overlooking what God intended to do. And, and yes, Israel, uh, they like Saul, they were, they were big on looks, but short on spirituality. And that's what Saul was. He was tall. He was impressive. He was head and shoulders above the others. In fact, it, it would even remind you of some of the Anakims of the day. I'm talking about the giants of the land. I mean, finally, it's like they're saying, finally, we got us a big king too. We got us a big king using bad Hebrew, don't you know? We got, anyways, we, we got us somebody like all the other nations, like they've got them and we've got us a big man now. And, and they thought, man, we, we've got what we need now. And, and, and so Saul though, part of the problem with Saul is listen to this, he had access to spiritual help and yet he didn't even utilize it. He, listen, he lived five miles, five miles this man lived from Samuel. You know who Samuel is? The prophet of Israel, the man of God the one that had preached in the circuit of preaching and, and I mean, had been used of God. And Sam, I'm sorry, Saul didn't even know who he was. Now there's several things in the text that is pointing out Saul was really lacking when it came to spirituality. He was lacking when he was 
trying to find his donkeys, his daddy's donkeys. He didn't even pray about it. Now, if you lose your daddy's donkeys and you're trying to find them, you ought to pray. I, sometimes I lose my keys or something. I'm going to pray. You know, ask God, help him have you do that. I'm not trying to be weird about it. I just God knows where they are. I just need help. God knew where the donkeys were. In fact, God took care of the donkeys. And God anointed Saul to be king. And in fact, when we read chapter 9 and chapter number 10, we saw things like this. I mean, Samuel anointed him. Um, we saw that he was met by two men. Watch this. I just, I'm, I'm making really fast work of this. And, and if you need to go back and read chapter 9 and read chapter 10, I'm just trying to establish this. That listen, God was not setting Saul up for failure. He was giving him a legitimate opportunity to do right. Even, even, though, even though things started wrong, even though it was started with the wrong motive and all those things, it was, a, it, was a, it was a bad situation. But listen, a bad situation does not have to stay that way if you will now approach it spiritually. And what Saul needed was a spiritual start to being the king. And so he was met by two men. Uh, and Samuel told him he was going to be met by these two men. And there he was, met by two men. And then he was met by three men that were on a journey, on a pilgrimage. And then he was met by a company of prophets. So here we go. Watch this now. I think this is God evidence showing Saul that, Saul, listen, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to use you. I'm going to help you. He was met by two, by three, by then a company. And then watch this. The Spirit of God came on Saul and he prophesied and everybody said, wait a minute, isn't that Saul the farmer? What's the Spirit of God doing on him? Yeah. Well, here's what the Spirit of God was doing on him. It was showing him and the nation, listen, I will give you a brand new start. And I'll help you. Legitimately help you. And that's where the kingdom was. Well, now enter Nahash. Here is, here is Saul's first opportunity to lead the kingdom in a spiritual way. Nahash had threatened uh, the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead. Jabesh Gilead was uh, about midway between um, the, the, uh, the, the seas, the Dead Sea to the south, and the Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee, there it is. I'm trying to remember what that place is called. Kind of in between there, Gibeah is further south. Uh, Jabesh Gilead is on the is on the east, on the east, sorry, on the east side. You see the map? Is the map helping anybody right here? All right. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. So they're in that Transjordan area where the Moabites live and the Ammonites live. And Nahash, who by the way, Nahash means serpent or snake. Nahash. Now who stand, remember some of that in Israel's history anyways, there's a connection there with the name. Nahash, here is snake. Anybody coming snake, name snake coming at you, you know you're in for some issues. Snake, I mean, like spike or... Snake or, I mean, it's like a gang member. <laughs> Ammonite gang member. 
All right, snake is coming. And snake says to the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead, um, he says to them and, and besieges them, is going to take over. Well, Jabesh Gilead knew what was up. And, and wait a minute, there's, there's so much a connection here, even with the book of Judges, because it was the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead that didn't come up and help in the matter of the Benjamites uh, whenever the, the man's concubine, you know, was brutally treated and, and then murdered. And then he cut her up and sent her to all the people of Israel saying, you got to come help me against the inhabitants here. And, and, and so all that was going on and Jabesh Gilead didn't go up. And, but now they're in a place where they need help. You follow me? That's the same people. There's a connection between Saul's people, uh, the Benjamites, and the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead because uh, when they pretty much wiped out all the Benjamites, the only ones that were left that had somebody they could marry was the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead. So there's a family connection between Saul and the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead. Did I lose anybody? Okay. So there's a connection here. And so here they are. They're about to be overrun by the Ammonites, who, by the way, Ammonites, they were from the incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters, and they were vile and wicked in their ways. And you can see how brutal they are. And so when the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead said, hey, listen, why don't we just enter into some kind of a, an agreement here and into this covenant? And so what, what's that going to take? He said, I'll tell you what it's going to take. It's going to take your right eye. Why would they take their right eye? Well, obviously to humiliate them. Uh, oftentimes, whenever somebody was taken captive, they cut off their hands, cut off their feet, so that they were no more of a threat. He said, I want your right eye, all of you, taking it out. Why? Because that would be their dominant eye when they're shooting a bow. Most of them, right-handed warriors. There's some left-handed ones, but mainly right-handed warriors. And they would hold the, sh the shield with their um, left arm and thus their left eye would be shielded that way, but the right eye is coming outside of the shield so they can attack. Are you following me? And here's what Nahash, the snake said. He said, I want your right eye so that you're no more of a military threat to us. And the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead said, um, oh, let's think about that. That was a good plan. <laughs> Give us a week and we'll see if we can get some help against you. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm not making this up. I'm just reading the Bible, just like you are. And he said, give us a week. And they said, fine, Nahash the snake. He didn't, he didn't care. He, he, I'm sure he was thinking, you bring whoever you want to, because I'll whoop them all. In fact, you'll just make my job be, I don't know. I don't know all that was running through the man's mind. I, I just know that he was, he was not threatened by them going to get help. Maybe he was thinking this, you know what? You didn't come help anybody back. He knew some of their history. You didn't come help anybody. I doubt anybody's going to come help you. I don't know. I don't know. But I know that they gave him a week and they went and they cried bloody murder in, in town and said, listen, we're going to die. Sure as the world snake with all of his venom is coming after us. And we're just, we're just toast. And there's nothing we can do to help ourselves. Somebody help us here. And the inhabitants of Gibeah, they came down to the South to where Saul basically was in Gibeah of Saul and area of the Benjamites. And, and, and so they let them know what was going on. Saul comes back, uh, comes from farming and he's in this transitional time. And, and, and I think, by the way, I think that the text is pointing that out for us because Saul's just a farmer. He's not a warrior. 
Now he's tall Saul, I get that. He's, he's a head and shoulders above others. He's Anakin looking. I mean, he's a, he's a giant of a man. He's a big dude. But, but really, he's just a farmer. That's all he's ever known. He's never fought. He's not a battle warrior. He's, he's a farmer. And now he's got the responsibility of protecting his nation. And he comes in and hears them crying and weeping and wailing. And, and then, it, then, then it says, I'm telling you, the text in verse 6 makes very clear, just like it did in the days of Samson, and just like it did in the other days of the judges, and just like it did at other times, the Spirit of God came upon him and empowered him for service, just like it did in the days of the judges. And he was filled with anger and he's cut his oxen up. Now, you think, man, this kind of gets gruesome. Well, better than cutting up a murdered woman, like it was in the book of Judges. Here, he's cutting up his oxen. In many ways, that would have been rather expensive to Saul. And in some ways, maybe what it's communicating, he's saying this, all right, I'm all in now. Does that make sense? I'm not going back to farming. If this nation needs me to be the king and protect us against the Nahashes of the world, then I'm cutting up my oxen and I'm sending it as a text message to the whole, not text message, a message to the whole land of Israel saying, if you don't come and help, this is what's going to happen to your oxen. And they got the message and said, we're there. 330,000 of them said, we're in. In fact, they came with one consent. Now, when have you known Israel to be of one consent? Not very often. I'm telling you, this is evidence of the Spirit of God at work. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that it says the fear of the Lord. Didn't you read that? The fear of the Lord fell on the inhabitants and they all participated and they came to the aid of Jabesh Gilead and Saul said, tell them there's going to be help before the sun is hot. In other words, we're going to attack during the night when they're not suspecting it. And so the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead says to Nahash and the Ammonites, uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow, maybe tomorrow afternoon about that. We can plan a meeting and sign the contract and you can pop out our eyes. I guess you didn't need the sound effect, but I'm just simply saying it. <laughs> and Saul divided the Israelites into three companies, just like we read of, of in the days of Gideon and how that they uh, surrounded them in three companies there right, right near Jabesh Gilead. And, and I mean, they, they put such a fierce uh, 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 whooping on them, such a fierce battle that you couldn't find, you couldn't find two Ammonite warriors together, let alone a unit of warriors. I mean, they were just totally defeated by the Israelite army. And then some of those men rose up and said, now who was it that was talking about, talking against our Saul? Where's them? Where, man, I'm using terrible English tonight. Where, where's all those sons of Belial who says, Who's, how's this man going to save us? Where are you at now? What do you want to say now? Look at our king. But wait a minute, hang on. Listen to what Saul said. Hey, Nobody's going to die. In fact, this is the one moment where we can rejoice in what Saul said because he said this in verse number 13, I believe it is. He said this, the Lord hath saved his people. Is it verse 13? Is that right? Verse 13, he says, the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. You know what Saul is acknowledging? I'm telling you, all I was was a farmer falling behind a bunch of oxen. And all I knew is that the Spirit of God came upon me and the Spirit of God enabled us. And I know it's not by my might. It's not by my power, but it's by the Spirit of God. It's by God that he saved us. You know what Saul is acknowledging? We didn't really need 
need a human king because we already had who we needed in God. Now, if they'd really just taken that to heart and if Saul himself had taken that to heart and kept applying that every single day, then listen, Saul would have been a great spiritual leader of Israel because he had a spiritually strong start because he got involved in the righteous cause in the power of the Spirit of God and it ultimately was God that would deliver them, not the 330,000 Israelites. Because it's not by horses or by swords or weapons that Israel ever, ever, ever has been delivered, but it's by little shepherd boys with five smooth stones. In fact, he only really needed one. And he went out there against that giant of Goliath and it was God that brought that man down, not this little shepherd boy of Israel. Just like it wasn't this farm boy of, of Gibeah that delivered Israel, it was God that delivered them. The spiritually... Strong start. Why? Because he was engaged in the right cause and with the right power. And when you're involved in the right cause, you know what I mean by cause, purpose, mission, whatever else you want to call it. If you're involved in the right thing and you're relying on the right power, boom! You see God do what you can not do. Do. I know that you weren't there for the whole conference at the church planning conference, but I'm telling you that was at least one of the themes that ran throughout the whole week. We heard it here on Wednesday night as Brother Burton Gates recognized who he was. He was just a bartender in Arkansas. He was just a drug addict. He was, he was on alcohol. He was living a, an ungodly life. That was his past, but God intervened in his life. And by the power of the gospel, this man's life was greatly changed and God's using him to reach a bunch of other drug addicts in Philly. That's what our God can do. That's not Burton Gates. He said so much as himself. That's not what Burton Gates can do. That's what God can do through a Burton Gates. He's involved in the right cause, in the right power, and it's no wonder that God does some great things. You take a group of 11 men that were one time scared and hiding from the Jews because their Savior, had their Messiah, their Redeemer, their hope of Israel had been crucified and was buried. And there they are hiding, hiding from the Jews. But then when they find out, friend, that he is indeed alive, and they're involved in the right cause of preaching the gospel, then these men that one time were fearful and scared are now standing on the day of Pentecost and calling on all Israel to repent of their sins and to receive their Messiah. And the people were smoked to the hearts and they confessed their sin and they confessed that they needed a Savior and they received God as their Savior. And 3,000 were saved. Why? Because of these men that were great theologians, because of these men that were mighty warriors. No, friend, listen, Peter was, a, was obviously a fisherman because he wouldn't even cut somebody's head off. He got their ear alone. It's not like they were great warriors, but I'm telling you what they did is they served a great God. And as long as the, the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ were mindful of who they were and mindful of who they were, or who he was, and they were living in his power and in his strength and the spirit of God was coming upon them and empowering them to be witnesses in all the world. I'm telling you, God did some amazing and will do some amazing things. They had a spiritually strong start because they were in the right cause and the power of the spirit. What kind of start do you need? Or maybe I could say it this way. What kind of restart do you need? Could be you need a restart. Again, 
Maybe, uh, maybe in your marriage, by the way, marriage, God's way, that's God's cause. That's God's purpose. You're married. Uh, I've done it before. Even at some marriage retreats where uh, I asked somebody, so how did you all get together? And they look at each other like, oh man. <laughs> this is our pastor. Do we have to tell you? For real? Um, pastor, I'm not sure how to tell you this, but we met in a bar. Well, that's... <laughs> What's the pastor supposed to say? Wow. <laughs> That's not a great start. Maybe, maybe they came from some rough backgrounds. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe there was um, alcohol, drugs. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't, I don't know, but it, it wasn't a great start. It wasn't a spiritual start. But here we are at a marriage retreat hosted by Southwest Baptist Church, and now they're members of this church, born again, baptized, Lives being changed. Their present situation, even though they had a bad start, does not have to continue that way. When the Spirit of God moves in. By the way, in our time, the Spirit of God indwells us. It's not just like He comes upon us for spiritual service like He did in the Old Testament, coming upon Saul and coming upon Samson, etc., etc. He lives within us empowering us to live the Christian life regardless of what your start was like. Listen, don't use your start, bad start, as a reason why you can't serve God today or into the future. Because your past does not define who you are, even if you had a rough start. Maybe you had a rocky start in church membership. Maybe you had a rocky start in, 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 a, in a work situation. Maybe you had a bad start even in your Christian life. Hey, listen, it does not matter what kind of start you had. It matters right now whose power you're relying on. And if you rely on the Spirit of God, He can change you from the inside out and get you involved in His cause and use you in a great way. And you can, you can see spiritual long-lasting results if you'll walk in the power of the Spirit of God. That's our problem is that oftentimes we're trying to do the Christian life in the power of the flesh and it just won't work that way. And what God's called you to do, He can empower you to do. Even if you're a Saul who really hadn't paid very much attention at all to spiritual things. I, I, uh, I, I wish that chapters like this just kept going with Saul. I wish chapter 13 read this way. To where, yes, Samuel's running behind. Most preachers are. But I am not authorized to offer up any kind of a sacrifice right here. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to wait on God and let God be God. And I'm not going to try to play God. Yeah, that would have been great. That would have been spiritual thinking, but he got off. Now, I'm not trying to ruin the night. I'm just trying to say, I get it. I understand Saul messed up before this, after this rather. And it would have been great had in chapter number 15, if, and even chapter 14, if he'd been more supportive of what his son was trying to do, even in taking over and helping with the matter of the Philistines. It would have been great if he'd remembered the days of Nahash the snake. 
It would have been great if he had applied that right there and said, you know, I know God can deliver us. It would have been great if even in chapter 15, if he'd said, you know, God said to wipe out all the, uh, the, uh, the Amalekites and I'm going to do that just like God said. It had been great if he had done that. It had been great in chapter number uh, 15 and 16 if he'd treated David right. It had been great if all that was the case. And we, we listen, we, 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 we cannot, um, we can't change even what he did in the future. But right here, he's acting right and we can follow that example. Because he recognizes I can't do this in my own power. I've got to have the help of the Spirit of God. And he yielded to him and he said, listen, nobody's going to die here because God gave this salvation. And would to God that Israel had paid attention to that as well. To recognize, hey, you know, actually, it's not like we needed a tall Saul anyways because we had a great God. How about tonight you let God help you get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes off of what other people can do? And how about you let God help you get your eyes on Him and what He can do in your life? And then you do what God tells you to do and act on it and trust Him and see God come through. That's a spiritually strong start. I was uh, supposed to preach this last Sunday night. And the first night, you know, as we're getting ready for a new semester, there's a lot of you that are students that have just come here. You want to have a spiritually strong start? And you recognize how frail you are and don't rely on yourself. But you trust God and you let God come through. Here we are at the start of a new year at Southwest Baptist Church. And I believe that God has given us the type of a theme that will stretch us beyond what we humanly will do or want to do in loving others the way God loves us. And here's what we need. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. We need the Spirit of God to help us love one another the way that we ought to. And we won't do it in our own power. But if we'll yield to the Spirit of God and say, Spirit of God, I need your help. Say to God, God, I need your help. Would you help me to walk in the Spirit here and not to fulfill the lust of the flesh? And I'm telling you, God will help you. No matter what your circumstances are. Praise His holy name. Let's stand together here tonight. <clears throat> Maybe you need a new start. Hey, don't, don't get hung up on your past. Don't, don't get hung up on how things went last year. Don't get hung up on how things went 20 years ago. Don't get hung up right there. Just say, God, I need a new start right here. Would you help me? And I believe he'll help you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you sincerely tonight that you give us a brand new, fresh start and that you can change the direction of a person's life that will yield to you and the Spirit. Lord, you can help a marriage, you can help a family, you can help a business, you can help an individual, you can help a friendship, you can help a church, you can help a whole country. If we would just yield ourselves as members of righteousness. God, I pray that you'd help somebody to get the start here tonight or the restart that they need. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we're standing.